Hello, and welcome to the Homeschool Sanity Show, your prescription for happier, healthier homeschooling. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschooling mother of six. Let's get started. Hey, homeschoolers. I attended a conference session years ago when I was getting ready to homeschool high school for the first time. This particular session was geared toward parents of advanced students who hoped to get full-ride scholarships. There certainly are those students, but there are many more of us who aren't in that category. We need to know how to approach homeschooling high school, too. If you have a special needs student who isn't on the college track, I know you'll appreciate my interview with Natalie Vecchione. Before I share our interview, though, I'd like to thank my sponsor, CTC Math. Have you tried CTC Math yet with your child? Here's a testimonial from another happy homeschool mom. Amber said, I'm absolutely thrilled with CTC Math. It's a rare find that I've used with my children for more than six years now. I have six children using CTC Math, and each child has found it easy to navigate and very applicable. I love seeing them enjoy this math program and grow in their mathematical journey. Thank you so much for all that you're doing and for providing quality math lessons for my children. So friends, if you're looking for a great online math program, visit ctcmath.com. That's ctcmath.com. Natalie Vecchione and her co-author, Cindy LaJoy, both homeschool moms, realized that their teens with developmental disabilities needed an alternative homeschool high school track in order to have a meaningful future. Together with their families, they battled confusion, isolation, and uncertainty. However, they turned their desperation into inspiration. Through entrepreneurship and apprenticeship, these moms prepared their teens who had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder to move forward with confidence, hope, and a set of practical life and job skills. They have co-authored the book they wish they'd had called Blazing New Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities. Here's Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I would love to have you start by introducing yourself and your family to us. Sure thing. Thank you again for having me. My name is Natalie Beckyung, and I am the proud mama of two kids. I use the term kids loosely because our son is uh, almost 19. He'll be 19 this month. Uh, so chronologically, he's a young adult. Um, and then we also have a daughter who just turned six. So we have a 13-year age gap between our two kids. And my husband and I built our family through domestic adoption. Uh, twice, two very different adoptions. Our son's adoption was closed. Um, he was considered a special needs adoption. We knew very little about his birth mom and nothing about his birth dad. Our daughter, her birth mom was actually our son's babysitter when we were living in Pennsylvania. 
So we have a very open adoption with her birth parents, um, especially her birth mom, um, which has been, uh, it's been a, a balancing act because for a long time, it was difficult for our son when he was processing and grieving that he didn't have a relationship with his mom. Um, however, I'm so thankful really in, in the past year, our son's just done tremendous work and, and really realized that, um, he, he loves, you know, our daughter's birth mom. So we are so, so thankful that, you know, um, uh, we're kind of back to the original plan. You know, we had six years ago, just having our daughter's birth mom and birth family kind of be an extension of our family. So we have a really kind of complicated family story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, five years ago, we moved. We, my husband and I have lived all uh, along the 95 corridor uh, for grad school, undergrad school. We finally settled back in North Carolina five years ago. Uh, our son was diagnosed with having a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Uh, I believe it was three years ago. Yes. And also having a, um, a co-occurring uh, mental health diagnosis too. He was actually diagnosed while he was hospitalized. And our story that we, we talk about in, in my book, um, we talk about how it took us so long to get that diagnosis mm -hmm. and how so many people, you know, my, my friend and co-author Cindy LaJoy and I, we talk about so many parents just they go through so much heartache and, and exhaustion and money and time and everything, trying to just get an appropriate diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So uh, that really just dominated a lot of our family life for so many years. And when we finally, he did receive the appropriate diagnosis and did receive, you know, um, we were able to find a practitioner who said, yes, I believe you. I, I believe he's been prenatally exposed to alcohol along with other diagnoses. Then we were able to um, accommodate his brain and, and, and parent him from a brain first uh, way of, of a strategy of, of parenting. Um, we've been homeschooling for over seven years, seven and a half years. And homeschooling was a huge accommodation for us, to be honest with you. Even before we knew about his official diagnosis, it, we, it was just an accommodation for us. You know, his IEP goals were not being met. Yeah. Uh, changes were made that my husband and I just didn't approve of. And, and we had tried so many different types of schools. We had tried public schools, private schools, hybrid schools, everything. And just homeschooling really was the best fit. So uh, fast forward to today, we live on a little hobby farm in rural North Carolina. I was telling you, I was out picking blueberries today. Mm -hmm. That's like one of my favorite things to do mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the summertime. And uh, our son graduated from homeschool last year. He is a carpentry apprentice and we have embraced that he is not heading down that academic path that most parents honestly hope and expect it, uh, we talk about that in our book that, you know, there's a grieving process, there's a reinvention process. And, um, honestly, the, another aspect that we're working on now, besides getting him acclimated to non-homeschool life mm -hmm. is, uh, is that his friends have all kind of launched and gone off to college military jobs and, and we're, building a tiny house for him. And we're kind of just transitioning to, to that. So he has more interdependence. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm saying a lot in this introduction. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's I okay. No, <laughs> but, no apology required. But yeah, we've really, uh, and then alongside equally is our daughter who's fabulous. She's uh, six years old. She, she does have, she's typically developing, but she does have a neurological disorder. She has childhood obstinance epilepsy, which means she gets petite mal seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, so a- again, it's a balance of, oh, typically developing, developmentally delayed, you know, uh, mm-hmm. medical issue, non-medical issue. So uh, we've learned a lot on this journey. And, and that's why um, my friend and co-author Cindy and I decided to put our stories, her story is very different, mm-hmm. um, which I'll share with you in a little while, but um we have two different stories on how we decided to reinvent that a non-college path post homeschooling was actually pretty cool and you mm-hmm. can make it really cool, you know, for lack of better words. Yes. So uh, that's, that's basically where we're at. And we just launched the book last month and we're thrilled with just the feedback and, and, you know, the responses and, uh, we consider the book to be a launching pad. We've actually developed a website. We're developing courses. We really mm. want to help parents who are homeschooling kids, teens who are not heading down that college path to say, you know what? It's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how we did it. Here's some examples. Here's what we learned. And let us just, let us help you, you know, let us be a resource and let us tell you that, uh, you're not alone. I think mm-hmm. that's probably one of the biggest messages we wanted to convey. Right. So. <laughs> well, we can kind of wrap it up now. <laughs> no, I, I am thrilled that you are here sharing this. It is a huge, huge need. Um, just that parents need advice and encouragement and resource ideas if their child is not going to go down the typical college path or if their child needs accommodations in the future as they're heading into adulthood. And I loved what you said. And and maybe as we go on, um, you can talk more about that. But I loved the term that you used interdependent. Yes. Um, we actually have a chapter devoted to that term. That's perfect. Yeah. That's yeah, we perfect. Do. So well, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Interdependence really um, is being embraced more in the disability community. Um, it, it's really just how you can let your, how can you can help your child, uh, especially teen, young adult, have interdependence, but continue to be a safety net for supports and services. So they have that. And for us, it looks like a tiny house on our property that our son has his own place. Currently, he's in a, a finished apartment above our attached garage. And, you know, we kind of have a door and it's his little suite and everything. But this year's project is to get him into his his tiny house so that he can have that. And start working part-time more and, and develop that. So, but know that mom and dad are here as well as, you know, his mm-hmm. life coach, you know, the other people who are in his life. So yeah, right. yeah, it's a, it's a huge, and I, I, I hope that it's a concept that people will embrace more and more. Mm. I, I, I think they will. Um, I, I think it's just 
um, it's just so difficult. You know, I mean, people don't even know what the resources are that are available to them. I think probably especially when they're homeschoolers. Um, So I I think you're really kind of standing in the gap um, for homeschoolers and starting this conversation and connecting people. So I want to jump in to some more details. You talked about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Can you give us a better idea of what that looks like, practically speaking? So historically people, you know, 40, 50 years ago thought of fetal alcohol syndrome as the only, you know, type of exposure of prenatal alcohol. And we've learned, especially in the past 20, 30 years, that just like autism, fetal alcohol is actually a spectrum. It's a spectrum Mm -hmm. disorder because it's a brain-based whole body disability. And depending on a number of factors, including when the birth mom or biological mom drank, that's a huge um, factor. Uh, Did they have prenatal care during their pregnancy? Were there other factors involved during pregnancy? Um, We know that alcohol is the worst substance that can affect an unborn child. People often think it's, it's, you know, street drugs, illegal drugs, any type of drugs. It's actually alcohol because alcohol, if you, if you explore the scientific, um, the scientific research and studies behind prenatal alcohol exposure, you learn that alcohol exposure crosses the limbic system and actually kills brain cells and the, you know, other cells, it, you know, um, for lack of better pause, three, two, one. So what we know about alcohol exposure in children, uh, in unborn children is that it's the worst substance that, that can be exposed. And the reason why we know that is because alcohol crosses the limbic system and affects the brain and damages the brain and the brain cells. And depending on when the exposure happened will determine a lot of different factors, but there are across the board, a lot of primary characteristics that we see in prenatal alcohol exposure. So in, when I say FASD, it's an umbrella term, kind of like how autism spectrum Mm -hmm. is an umbrella term. So there's actually five diagnoses under the FASD umbrella, fetal alcohol syndrome, which most people know because it's the quote face, which if I can tell you that those facial characteristics affected by alcohol only happen for about six days between, I want to say it's days 17 through 23 of pregnancy, that is the only time that it happens. So if birth or bio mom drank during that time, you'll have that. But in 90% of cases of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, there are no outward facial characteristics. That's why it's such an undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, and underdiagnosed invisible disability. So you have fetal alcohol syndrome, you have partial fetal alcohol syndrome or PFAS, you have alcohol-related birth defects, 
neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure or NDPAE, and finally, alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. So those are the five diagnoses that fall under the FASD umbrella. So alcohol exposure affects, it's again, it's a brain-based whole body disability. Not only does it affect the brain, and I'll tell you in a few seconds about the primary characteristics, but it also affects things like, you know, the uh, GI system, the liver, obviously, um, things like autoimmune, uh, just neurological, so many, actually all of the systems in a child's body are impaired by alcohol. Again, depending on when the alcohol exposure happened in a number um, you know, of other factors. So FASD is this umbrella term that we use for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Um, some of the primary characteristics that people will see, and this is why FASD is often misdiagnosed because they, people who have an FASD usually have other diagnoses first. And I'll use our son as an example. He first started out with sensory processing disorder, and then he started out with visual, you know, processing disorder, and then um, he started with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and then learning disabilities, and then auditory processing disorder. So the ABC acronym soup of diagnoses piled on until we officially got that FASD diagnosis, and we learned that that was the cause of all of the other comorbid disorders. So primary characteristics include things like, and these are primary symptoms of, mm -hmm. of you know, child through, you know, adult that has an FASD. Things like um, a big one is sensory issues when it comes to either sensory seeking or sensory avoiding behaviors. Those are big with people that have an FASD. It can be mixed. It can be like, for example, they may be sensory sensitive when it comes to auditory, but maybe they're sensory seeking when it comes to, you know, vestibular, they, they, they want pressure, they want to run around or that kind of thing. They want to like circle the room. Um, other primary characteristics include things like impulsivity and highly distractible, which again, that's where that ADHD diagnosis usually happens first. And it's correct in that, yes, that, you know, they're exhibiting those symptoms, but it's not the actual diagnosis because the cause is not genetic. The cause is from brain damage from the alcohol mm -hmm. exposure. So other things, and these are big things that we address in our book, things like executive functioning. So being able to carry out a task as, you know, say, you know, a child is in a classroom or, you know, homeschooling, you're, you're doing an assignment, you're doing a project or something, and you give your child, you know, maybe a three-step instruction to do something. And because of the brain damage and the working memory deficits, they're not able to remember maybe the second step. So maybe they did the first step of it and the last step of it, or maybe just they were stuck on the first step. That's from the alcohol damage. Um, and executive functioning also looks different as that child becomes a teen and then becomes an adult, because we know with executive functioning that as someone gets older, society expects more from them. So especially if you think about those middle school age years and those high school age years where, oh, well, they should be able to remember this and they should be able to, to uh, you know, follow these instructions to do laundry or something like that. 
a child or a young adult or a teen that has an FASD is not able to do that because developmentally their, you know, their brain is stuck on, you know, on, on a step. Um, another really big hallmark primary characteristic of FASD is something called dismaturity. So what that means is that the maturity level of that child, teen, young adult is physically not present compared to their chronological age. Now we know that's present in things like ADHD, autism and other developmental disabilities. However, and this is a big, big however, that's kind of a red flag for FASD. In FASD, it gets larger as they get older because of the brain damage. With mm -hmm. ADHD and, and uh, autism spectrum disorder, depending of course on the actual diagnosis, it doesn't get as, as significantly big, that gap, as compared to FASD. Again, because you're thinking of prenatal brain damage. Mm -hmm. So with you know, ASD or ADHD, there are things, there are gains that can be made. Now, um, other things again include um, things like safety, you know, uh, not being able to predict consequences. So, you know, I I'm going to run in the road, but I don't realize that I shouldn't run in the road because a car is coming. I'm just chasing my ball, you know, a, a very, um, you know, rough example. Um, and then another thing that is, is a huge um, important thing to consider with anyone that has an FASD um, is the memory difficulty, that, that impairment of memory. So it's very inconsistent. So perhaps one day, you know, if you're homeschooling your child, they may be able to recite, you know, their multiplication facts or something, but then another day they may not be able to, and there's inconsistency. So that's why so many, especially, um, especially, you know, just in general, so many people fall through the cracks of receiving therapies and things like that, because there's so much inconsistency due to the brain damage from the alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then um, finally, just to kind of wrap up, you know, <laughs> some of these mm -hmm. primary characteristics um, is basically um, your child is not able to do something because they they actually physically can't do it because of their brain damage. Most people see what they think are behaviors, things like, you know, oh, they didn't follow this instruction or, oh, they did not do that. It's because their brain is actually physically not able to do that task or remember that consequence or learn from that experience. So, um, what happens then as a result is as they become a more, um, as they become more, I'm pause, three, two, one. So as that child becomes older, they may become a more, um, pause, I'm sorry, three, two, one. So as that child becomes older, their environment may become a more poor fit for them because expectations are made and they're not able to keep up with them. So then you see things like secondary symptoms, things like, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, you know, acting out, we say, but, you know, things like not, um, not 
complying with the law, you know, things like Mm -hmm. that. So, and then there's even tertiary symptoms. So acknowledging that there is a brain-based cause behind these, what we thought were behaviors are actually symptoms really is a big part of shifting that um, understanding of what FASD is. And that's one of the things that we discuss in our book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, but that's really a big reason why my husband and I started our podcast, FASD Hope, um, almost a year ago, because we wanted people just everywhere to get that understanding of, okay, this is what FASD is. And oftentimes when we hear fetal alcohol, we associate so many negative things because people, again, it's so misunderstood. It's the Mm -hmm. most misunderstood, you know, misdiagnosed, undiagnosed of the developmental disabilities. So what we want to do is we want to raise awareness, you know, point people in the direction of resources and then provide inspiration and provide hope, you know, because oftentimes when we think of FASD and other developmental disabilities, we focus on what that child, teen, young adult can do instead of shifting to, hey, this is what they can do. And, and what they can do is actually pretty awesome. So um, that basically in a nutshell is, is FASD. The, one of the best books that I recommend uh, for anybody wanting to learn more about FASD is uh, a book called Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Malvin. And she founded the nonprofit organization FACETS, F-A-S-C-E-T-S. And they provide training about this neurobehavioral approach to not only FASD, but to other brain-based diagnoses such as autism, ADHD, where parents, caregivers, teachers, anyone can learn about how to think brain first when it comes to you know, their child that has a brain-based diagnosis. Um, and then finally, just to wrap that up, one of the big reasons why we wrote the book and, and we do the podcast is because when we learned when our son was 15, actually four years ago, cause he'll be 19. So uh, when we learned that he has an FASD and he has these brain-based diagnoses, we went from punitive kind of disciplining to wait a minute, you don't discipline a disability. You don't tell somebody in a wheelchair, well, why don't you just get up and walk? We accommodate. And that's what we wanted to do in our podcast, in our resources. And, you know, now most recently in our book is to say, you know, parents, caregivers, especially, you know, if you're homeschooling, this is what you can do. And, and let's, let's acknowledge and support strengths But at the same time, let's say, hey, these are what our kids' superpowers are, Mm -hmm. as I like to say, and how can we nurture them so that their quality of life when they're done with homeschooling, and that launch can be many years, you know, our our son is still home and, you know, we honestly, we're just planning life as he's going to be in his tiny house and just kind of take it from there. So, right. And that's not a bad thing. There's, there's grieving and there's a lot of um, reinvention, but in the end, it's not a bad thing. It's just a different type of road that you go down as a parent. So again, I'm, I'm yeah. talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I mean, it's, it's really, um, 
it's fascinating. My daughter had a friend um, who had had some form of fetal alcohol syndrome. And um, I, you know, that's not something that I was trained in as a psychologist. So this information is really, really um, interesting, important. Um, and I, kn I know even as we are discussing it, that we have many, many families listening who have children who have other developmental disabilities that impact not just their homeschooling, but the family's planning for that child's future. Can you talk about what some of those other types of disabilities are that you address directly in your in book? This book? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the most prominent ones we think of are things like ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity, or ADD. Um, any type of diagnosis under the autism spectrum, um, things like learning disabilities, um, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, dyslexia, um, just generalized developmental disabilities from any type of diagnosis, um, TBI, traumatic brain injury, um, especially whether it's before or after birth, um, also things like trauma, um, you know, and childhood trauma, those, those are all diagnoses that affect the brain, you know, mm -hmm. um, and anything that where developmentally that that person is not where they are chronologically is, is really what we're addressing. But we're also addressing too, if you just, and I had this discussion actually with our pediatrician today, um, who is wonderful. She's also an adoptive mom. She actually uh, wrote one of, our, um, one of our reviews in our book. Um, for any teen that is just not thinking about college, that they don't think it's a right fit for them. And we really just want to address that in this book, you know, not only for developmental disabilities, just mm -hmm. if your child is just not really, college is not their jam, you know, for lack of better words, they're just like, I don't think I'm ready. <laughs> and we really just want to change the conversation to, um, it's not a lesser than, it's a, okay, this is just a different road you're going down. Mm -hmm. um, so, and there's a lot of opportunities. We think, oh, somebody's not going to college. So, you know, okay, these are limited choices. No, actually the choices are many. I mean, for mm -hmm. our son, it was learning carpentry and becoming a carpentry apprentice on his own. Mm -hmm. um, actually through two wonderful apprentice teachers, I should say, not on his own. And <laughs> yeah. for, for my co-author and friend, Cindy, they started from, you know, studs on out. They started their own pizza and ice cream place, which is actually was named the best ice cream and pizza place um, in their town of Montrose, Colorado, um, last year in 2020, and they wow. had opened five months before COVID and oh. their, uh, Buckaroo's slices and scoops. I'm just going to put that plug out there in Montrose, Colorado. Um, and she shares that journey. She actually created a business in their last year of homeschool. So they used entrepreneurship. And those are examples, you know, we, we talk about, you know, things like any type of, skill or trade or entrepreneurship or self-employment, anything that just looks different than that traditional academia trajectory. We just want to celebrate and say, hey, if this mm -hmm. is what your child's interested in, if your child wants to learn how to 
groom dogs and, and thinks that's just so cool, then let them be the best groom, you know, dog groomer they can be. Or if your child really is just embracing, I want to have my own landscaping business or something like that. Let him or her just embrace that and support that and help them. Um, honestly, we're not bashing college by any means, mm-hmm. not at all. But what we are doing is just saying, hey, this is a different path. And it actually can be a really cool path. However, these are things we learned along the way, you know, and mm-hmm. we, um, I, I'm really happy that we're starting that change in conversation and hopefully a shift in thinking of what someone can't do to what someone can do really well. Mm-hmm. If, if you give them those tools and if you step back and say, just tell me what you're interested in. And, and we talk about that in our book. A lot. Mm, that's excellent. I remember hearing Joyce Herzog speak at a conference when I was just a brand new homeschooler. And she asked us if our kids were going to have jobs or careers in their weaknesses or in their strengths. <laughs> and of course, we know the answer is in their strengths. And so yeah. she said, you know, don't spend so much time focusing on the weaknesses then. You want to really augment your child's strengths because that's where life is going to be for that child. So I, I, love I that. loved that too. Yeah. Um, you, I, I would love for you to talk more about, you've, you've hinted at it, um, but I would love for you to talk more about um, your experience and maybe your co-authors um, Cindy's experience too, when you realized that the, the traditional college route probably wasn't going to happen for your child. So Cindy realized pretty early on, she adopted her kids, um, from Eastern Bloc countries, uh, when they were older and she realized, and she shares in her book, she realized pretty early on that, that they were probably not bound for college. Um, So I wanna say they were elementary school age, maybe a little older for for her kids. Uh, For us, I wanna say, honestly, it was when we actually got that diagnosis when our son was 15. I think we just kept holding on and holding on and holding on. And um, again, it's a grieving process. You know, my husband and I both went to college. We both had master's degrees and, and we just, that whole experience, we were like, we wanted our son to have that. And when the hospitalization happened and when we learned again, just really how our son's brain works, we stepped back and we were like, okay, what does he like to do? Well, he loves being outdoors. He loves standing up. He doesn't like to sit down. He loves working with his hands. He loves building things. He loves just, just, he has this wonderful sense of like detail, like, especially when it comes to carpentry, just to be able to say, oh, hey, this angle just doesn't look right or whatever. Um, So that's when we were like, you know what? We need to reinvent our lives. So at that juncture, we actually went from this lovely suburb, you know, just beautiful hot market in, in Raleigh to moving out like an hour away to uh, the middle of farm country. And honestly, we've never been happier as a family because, <laughs> you know, we have this tiny little, you know, little under four acres. We have blueberries. We have, you know, farmers all around us who are lovely and, and love our family and embrace our family. 
we, you know, our son has the outdoors, we have a workshop, we have just places for him to explore. Our daughter loves it. I mean, if she could be outside every day, she, she is actually. And, and <laughs> we just, we traded our lifestyle to say, okay, where are our son's strengths and how can we help him nurture them? Mm-hmm. And same thing with our daughter. She loves, loves living out here. Um, so we did that around when he was 15. And then when he was 16, I, I shared in the book, um, he attended this wonderful camp um, through a nonprofit organization called Josh's Hope. And I, I list the, um, the name in the book, the, their website. He attended this two-week camp called, um, I believe it was Climbing Hope. And it's actually skills building where teens and young adults that have developmental disabilities were exposed to a number of different skills, things like carpentry, um, I, I think painting and artwork, I even think welding, some just different types of skills and trades. Uh, culinary was a big one too. And our son, they, they did quite a few um, carpentry, basic carpentry projects. And um, right after he turned 16, he, he went to this camp and he came home and I still have it. And I talk about this in the book. He came home with this cutting board and I could not believe he made it. And I still, I've never used it. It's four years old. It's actually <laughs> like in like a kind of like a little, um, it's mounted so that, you know, it's like my, just, you know, my piece of artwork in my kitchen. And he, I just couldn't, I kept saying, you made this, you made this. And he's like, yeah, let me tell you how. And that's when we started completely changing our homeschool path. And we were like, mm-hmm dude, do you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, I do. So that's when we found two wonderful apprenticeship teachers. And, you know, I, I talk in the book, we tried trade school. It was a total flop. We tried, you know, like going through VR. That was a flop too, because we realized that he really just needed to learn about carpentry at his own pace. And the only way he could do that was through an old fashioned one-on-one apprenticeship. And that's when it really started sticking in that, okay, yeah, he's not going to college, but this is really cool, mm-hmm. you know? And so the desk that I'm talking to you from, I, I share this all the time whenever I'm interviewed, um, the desk that I'm actually talking to you from was made by our son two years ago as a Christmas gift. And it's wow. it, it's so finely detailed. I mean, like the, the edge of it is angled so that when we use our computer, you know, our hands can have a place to rest. And there's a bar underneath that we can rest our feet on. It's just, <laughs> it's he, I could not imagine you know, five years prior, you telling me your son's going to make like amazing furniture and amazing things as a carpentry apprentice. Um, And that's where, again, we just took his strength and we said, okay, we're going to nurture this and we're going to turn this into a superpower. And and we did. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. There was a lot of grieving in that process because we had to let go of what we were expecting but at the same time, there was a lot of reinvention. I mean, if you had told me 10 years ago that we're living in the middle of rural North Carolina and our son, you know, is a carpentry apprentice and, and uh, you know, that we're embracing this, you know, trade lifestyle, I would have been like, what? But, <laughs> but now I do. And I really think that homeschoolers we're so, you know, it's funny homeschoolers and I, I'm not a lifelong homeschooler. We've mm-hmm. only been homeschooling for seven and a half years, but I think we get into this mindset of 
curriculum, college, curriculum, college, curriculum, college. Mm -hmm. And Cindy and I just want to share that that's great if that's what your kid wants, but Mm -hmm. that's not all it has to be. Mm -hmm. And it can actually be fun going down the different trails. You know, as you were speaking, I was realizing that this is not as different from a traditional homeschool journey as we might think, because even if you have kids who are on the college track, you have to do a lot of experimenting, you know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You know, you have to, okay, well, I'm going to try a complete uh, completely computer-based curriculum. Yeah, mm-hmm. they hate that. Exactly. <laughs> or, or, or no, they love it. They love it. And that's <laughs> all they want to do. And, um, you know, there, there was so much experimenting um, in my homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thought I had it down pat. You know, I taught my first three kids to read the the exact same way. They just took off with it. And then the fourth one comes along and is like, no, I don't, I can't do that. (laughs) So um, I do think that if we can adopt this, this mindset that all education and even parenting, I would argue, yes, is this constant journey. It's constant experimenting. It's constant learning together. Um, about what works. And then, and then I think it doesn't feel so, um, oh, what's my word? Kind of like punishing. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I also think I agree a hundred percent. I also kind of complimenting what you're saying too. For so many years, I like prayed and hoped that our son would change and what I thought were behaviors would change. And what I realized what needed to change was me. And, and my husband and how not only we homeschooled, but how we parented. And when we did that, it was actually very liberating to mm-hmm. say, okay, you know what? We're just not going by what the world says we need to do. We, we're going, we're focusing on these strengths. Yes, we, we acknowledge the needs, we acknowledge the supports, but like you said, we're, you know, our, our kids don't deserve to, to work and have a career in their weaknesses. They deserve and, you know, should celebrate their strengths and do something related to that. So absolutely. And, and my biggest thing I learned right off the bat when we first started homeschooling is don't be married to a curriculum. Don't be married <laughs> to a way of learning because how we homeschool our daughter is a lot different. She is like, I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Different. You know, he was all hands-on everything. She's like, you know, very visual, very, so Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Each child is unique, really just focus on that journey. And again, if you keep thinking, oh, I want to change my child or I, you know, our child, if he could just hear, she could just do that. Mm -hmm. Step away from that. Mm -hmm. Stop, drop, and like accommodate, you know, don't get stuck in that we must do this kind of thing because I can tell you it's not going to work when you step back and say, okay, what does my child need from me? What supports does he or she need from me? And most importantly, I, I think another thing that I, I, I didn't emphasize enough 
um, in the book, which if we wrote a second book, I think Cindy and I would probably emphasize this too. We talk about this, but homeschooling is really about connection. When you think about it, Mm. we're homeschooling our kids because we want to be connected with them. We don't want to dominate them. We don't want to control them. We want to have that connection so that, you know, our kids will come to us when, when, you know, they feel like they need help or something like that. You want to build that connection. And, and by thinking out of the box about their homeschool journey, that connection. I mean, I am so, so blessed when I think of how our son and our daughter just have this bond with my husband and I, and how they love this, this crazy life we have, you know, out in blueberry country, you know, it's, it's, it's totally different, but again, it's like, it's pretty great. Mm -hmm. Well, I completely agree. Uh, Relationship is huge. And in fact, when we think about public school teachers who are celebrated, um, who become nominated, you know, teacher of the year. It's, it's never about how brilliant they are. (laughs) It's always about the relationships that they form with their students. And so I think that can give us a lot of peace too. It's not that you're going to come up with the most ingenious teaching technique to work with your child who has a developmental disability, but that you can, you can form a connection with your child that's like no one else has yeah. developed. Um, and that, that is just um, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, you know, you've, you've hinted at this, but I believe this is also true of all homeschoolers and certainly true um, for homeschoolers who have children with lear- learning or, or brain-based challenges. And that is that we grow and yes. change um, as a result, you know, like you said, you, you weren't thinking, I want to move out to the country <laughs> and be all hands-on. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I wasn't thinking that I wanted to stay home and have six children. Um, I was, you know, I was going to have this career and this was going to be so great, but it turns out that I adore the life um, that I have with my family. So I, I want to encourage our listeners with that as well. Um, and it's, as you keep saying, it's a process. That's not something that you come to overnight, right? Yes. Uh, you, you have to go through that process, um, but you can get there. Well, I would love to have you give us a couple of tips if if a parent is listening right now and they have a child that it's been a struggle, honestly, and they have a lot of fear, um, disappointment, you know, what, whatever it is, confusion, what would you say are some first steps that this parent could take on this journey? So for me, what really got the ball rolling in terms of not only getting an appropriate diagnosis for a child, but just feeling like I wasn't completely alone was finding, finding, I call it finding your tribe, finding like a a parent support group, you know, um, or a, just a, a group of, you know, parents that, you know, moms, dads, that have similar journeys, you know, or you talking to someone and they say, oh yeah, you know what? My brother has, you should talk to him or her. When you make those connections as parents 
and you start talking and bouncing ideas, kind of like Cindy. So here's a fun fact. Cindy and I have never met in person yet. I consider her to be like a, a very good friend because our journeys and what we've been through as parents of now young adults with an FASD are so scarily the same, <laughs> you know, yet very different. But, you know, when we met each other, it was like, Oh, you get it. I get it too. Hey, perfect. Let's write a book, you know? Yeah. So, so I think the first step is making that connection with other parents or peers or, or people that just will get your life. That is huge. So that's step number one. Step number two is finding the supports that will also get your life. So we t- honestly, our, our, our son's practitioner now, and the people who are in our lives now, we've spent years looking for them. Don't stop if a doctor says, oh, it's just this or, or a specialist or a therapist or whatever. Oh, it's just this. No, you are your kid's best advocate. And if you think something's up and, you know, it doesn't have to be an official diagnosis. It can just be if you know that your child interacts with the world differently and is going down a different path, then find the professionals who are going to support that. There are pediatricians who support and love homeschooling. There are specialists, neurologists who love and support homeschooling and, and, and understand they're out there. They're hard to find, but they're out there. So that would be my second step. And then finally, think of yourself as a guidance counselor. You know, we think of the traditional guidance counselors in high school and how they see like hundreds of kids and everything. And they only get to spend like maybe four hours a year with that kid or whatever. We get to spend all day or many hours a day with them. This is the time of life, like those middle school age, you know, like I'm going to say like tween through teen years, especially early teen years. This is when you start having fun learning what makes your kid tick, you know, learning like, oh my God. So here's, here's a fun fact. For so many years, I would try to get our son to sit to do his, his schoolwork at homeschool. And I would try using the, you know, the ball, you know, the bouncy ball or anything like that. And it's just really connected when I, when I go pick him up from his apprenticeship, he always likes to do his work, written work, computer, anything, standing up at our stove. And I was like, why? <laughs> because when I go into the, the, his apprentices, his current apprentices workshop, it, it's almost identical. It's like where he works at, where he stands and does all his measuring and everything. He thinks on his feet. Mm. And I would, you know, all those years I was like trying to get him not to do it. Mm. And when I finally, again, it was that, aha, okay, Natalie, you know, think he thinks on his feet. That's what he does. That's why he's so great at carpentry. Then, then embrace that. So if you're trying to change the way your child does something, and again, if, if it's unsafe, obviously you want to make the accommodation, <laughs> but, but if it's something that you think is like a quirk, it could actually lead to what they're what I affectionately mm. say, what their superpower might be. So yes. I would say those so three. Good. Yeah. So good. I, I love those tips. Well, we've been referencing your book and I really want any homeschooling family who could benefit from it to get their hands on it. So where is the best place to find it? So you can find it a couple places. Um, 
we uh, publish through Amazon. So Amazon would be the best place to go for it. Um, the title of our book is Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Beckion and Cindy LaJoy, amazon.com. We also have a website for the book where if you read the book, you can download a free companion journal um, that, that Cindy and I have put together. So that's um, www.blazingnewhomeschooltrails.com. Um, and then you can also find it on uh, our website through our podcast, fasdhope.com. Um, or if you visit uh, Cindy LaJoy at Blue Collar Homeschool, whether that be on uh, bluecollarhomeschool.com or through her Facebook page of, uh, I think her Facebook page is close to 12,000 members in Blue Collar Homeschool. Um, you, can, you can visit her through there too. So um, probably the best place would be amazon.com. That would be the easiest <laughs> <Okay>. place. <laughs> okay. Well, can our listeners get in touch with you or Cindy Via Absolutely. These places Absolutely. Too. So you can get in touch with us um, on our website, uh, Blazing New Homeschool Trails. You can, there's a place where you can sign up and we can reach out to you. Um, you can also reach out to me, Natalie at FASDHope.com. I'm happy to talk to you. And uh, Cindy, you can also reach out to her through bluecollarhomeschool.com. That's just perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us. I know that it is really going to bless people who listen and then go on to read what you've shared in Blazing New Homeschool Trails. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been a pleasure. For links to resources discussed in this episode, go to homeschoolsanity.com slash besides college. Thanks again to CTC Math for sponsoring this episode. Join me next time as I discuss how you can be more diligent this year. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me. Happy, healthy homeschooling can be yours. It begins with one small step. Let's continue the conversation on social media. I'm at Psycho with Six. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.